morning, everybody. Great to see you guys today. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you're here. We hope you feel welcome this morning. Well, I'm excited about this sermon today. I'm really excited about this whole series. We're taking several weeks to look at our homes and our families. And we're asking God to help us build our families according to His plan. And, of course, we don't want to settle for anything less than God's plan. We, we want to do a perfect job of this. But you and I both know there are no perfect families. Every family is at least a little dysfunctional. This week I was thinking about all the great family photos that you see all over social media. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's always a beautiful setting. Everyone is smiling. It just looks like peace and love and harmony everywhere. A few days ago, I did a quick search of professional photographers on Facebook. And of course, you find lots of them there. So I just picked out six random family photos. And best we can tell right here, these people are happy, aren't they? And I don't know, maybe they are happy. But I've learned over my years in ministry that a perfect family photo can often hide some serious imperfections under the surface. Uh, I've seen so many families that look like they're doing really well on the outside, but if you could see inside their home, you'd find a lot of pain. You might find tension or conflict or loneliness or resentment. In some cases, you would find some really ugly stuff. So in this family series, we need to be real. Uh, Family relationships can be very difficult, and we need to confront the hard stuff head on. At the same time, though, we have reasons for hope. Lots of reasons for hope, because God is bigger than any challenge we could ever face in life, including the challenges we face in our families. When we surrender to Him and surrender to His plan, He can work miracles. I've seen it. So, we need to uh, dig into his word this morning and see what he has to say to us. Last week, uh, we talked about building the right kind of foundation in our homes. And we had three action steps. Remember that? We said, this is where you start. Number one, build your home on the teaching of Christ. Number two, build your home on the gospel of Christ, which is different than the first one. Number three, don't build your home on the things of this world. Now, we took some time to, each, to unpack each of those steps, and if you happen to miss last week's sermon, I really hope you'll go back and watch online or listen to the podcast. Today, though, we're going to keep it very simple. We've got just one goal this morning, one simple goal, and it's something that God wants for each of our families. Here it is. The goal is for every person in your home to be fully known and fully loved. Now, if we're completely honest, this is one of the deepest desires that we have in life. We long to be known, and we also long to be loved fully. So how does that happen? Well, let's start by looking at the love side of this. Some of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is often called the love chapter in the Bible. And you often hear this passage at weddings but this chapter is about a whole lot more than romance. It's, it's bigger than marriage. 
This is a description of God's perfect love. So I want to read just a few verses from this chapter. We'll read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4. So follow along with me. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, when you hear these words at a wedding, it sounds really nice. If you stop and really take the time to consider what what these verses are saying, you might pause for a second. You might say, hold on, there are a couple things in here I'm not so sure about. So I I do want to pause right now, and let's think about how we would apply these verses here in the real world. First, uh, let's, let's take that phrase, love always trusts. That sounds like a good idea, but what if you get married and you find out the person you're married to is not trustworthy? What if you find out your child is not trustworthy? How, how can you trust someone who's proven that they can't be trusted? Or, or how about this one? Uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. What, what if uh, this other person, they, they do me wrong again and again and again? Am I really supposed to ignore that? What if I'm really trying here and that other person, they're just not even making an effort? Maybe you feel that way about your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, it sounds really pretty, uh, but here's the question. How do you love someone after you find out that person is really hard to love? This is a dilemma for any relationship, but for a few minutes here, I want to focus specifically on marriage. And the truth is, in this context, it's a lot easier to have a 1 Corinthians 13 love in the early stages of the relationship. Uh, In our marriage between me and Hannah, uh, that's how it worked for us. Around the time we got engaged, I'd say uh, our love matched up pretty well with 1 Corinthians 13. We were patient with each other. We trusted each other. We honored each other. Uh, We were doing all right. And that's what it's like when you fall in love. But there's a problem here. See, when, when you fall in love in the very beginning... You actually don't love the other person. And why why do I say that? It's because you don't know the other person yet. You you fall in love with your idea of who that person is. And many times, the, the image we build up in our minds is better than the reality. So after a few years of marriage, here's what you find. When you live with somebody for a while, you find out that person has issues. And when somebody lives with you, that person finds out you have issues too. As time goes by, you you sometimes discover big issues. But you also discover lots of little issues. You, You find hundreds of little things about your spouse that you find annoying. 
Hannah and I have been married almost 18 years, and by this point, we've had lots of opportunities to get on each other's nerves. Uh, I'll, I'll give you just a, one recent example. Uh, Hannah and I live in a neighborhood called Darlington Creek, which is not far from the church here. And in our neighborhood, uh, most people don't have very many trees in their yard, except for the Hartleys, because Hannah loves trees. I went back and counted this week, and uh, over time she has planted 15 trees in our yard. That's kind of a lot. And listen, I'm a big fan of trees, but this situation has created a a little tension in our home. Um, See, Hannah loves trees, That's one agenda, but I have another agenda. I love mowing the yard in a timely and efficient manner. You see where these two things come into conflict, right? Now, in the early days, these little trees were no big deal. They were basically sticks. They they were very easy to mow around. But these days, some of the trees have gotten pretty large. Some of them have, you know, branches that are pretty close to the ground, and they they stick out right where you want to be when you're mowing. Now, Hannah would prefer that we not cut those branches because she wants to stand at the kitchen sink and and see only nature. Uh, She doesn't want to see what the neighbors behind us are watching on TV. And I understand that. I, I, I can relate to that. But I have a preference of my own. My preference is that I would not end up scratched and bloody after I mow the yard. My preference was that I would not have my glasses ripped off by some demon branch that's trying to kill me, which has happened multiple times. You're probably picking up on some frustration here. But now, just to let you know, Hannah and I have worked through these issues. We're, we're good. Uh, that's why I feel like I can tell you about this. We've talked about it. Uh, we've both made some compromises, and I think we're in a good place. But I wanted to ask you this question. When it comes to this disagreement about trees in the yard, would you call that a small issue or a big issue? Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, we'd have to call that a small issue. Right. But we also need to understand In our marriages, in our families, sometimes these small issues become big issues. I saw an illustration years ago that makes this point really well. And I actually used this illustration here a long time ago, um, but I wanted to, to share it with you again today. Right over here, we have a happy couple now, you could, call, you could call these two uh, Mr. Mug and Mrs. Mug. And you can understand why they got together, right? I mean, when they first met, Mrs. Mug looked over at him, and she was like, wow, what a guy. I mean, he's cute, he's smart, he's funny, and would you look at that mustache? And then Mr. Mug looked over at her, and kind of the same thing. He's just like, Man, what a knockout. I have never seen a mug with lips like that. I haven't either. So they started dating. And in those early days, things went really well. They were kind to each other. They were considerate. They showed a lot of love toward each other. They were working hard. They were the perfect couple, it seemed like. And and they got married. It was a joyous event, their wedding. But about a month or so after that, just out of the blue, they hit a bump. Stuff came out, and it wasn't pretty. And all of a sudden, Mr. Mug's saying, what was that? 
I, I didn't know you had anger issues. And Mrs. Mogg is like, I never had anger issues until I met you. So that was a rough day. But things calmed down, and then about a month later, bam, happened again. And this time, Mrs. Mugg went over to see her mom, and she said to her mom, I, I had no idea he was like that. And Mr. Mugg, he went over to, who knows where Mr. Mugg went. I think he probably went to the mirror, gave himself a pep talk, like, listen, you know you're right. You stick to your guns. You get back in there. But as time went by, these bumps became kind of a regular thing. And there was a big mess. And all the while, Mrs. Mug thinks he's the problem. He's the one making her angry. And Mr. Mug thinks she's the problem. She's the one with the short temper. And the reality is, there's a simple reason why we have a huge mess here. These blue beads came out of Mr. Mug because that's what was inside him. You can write that down if you want to. These pink beads, they came out of Mrs. Mug because that's what was inside her. And the same thing is true for all of us. We all have stuff inside, don't we? Sometimes we would call that stuff baggage. And when we say baggage, that refers to things that have happened in your past. Maybe you were hurt years ago. Maybe you were given a bad example by your parents or someone else. Maybe you were in a bad relationship. And sure, those things are in the past now, but they're still affecting you today. They're still affecting your relationships today. We all have at least some level of baggage. But sometimes that's, that's not what it is. Sometimes it's, it's really just sin. Just plain sin. It's that tendency we have to be self-centered. It's that tendency we have to, to get past the early stage of the relationship and then pull back on the kindness and the thoughtfulness. And then here's what happens. Because of the stuff inside us, the combination of baggage and sin, our little issues can become big issues. And those big issues can become major threats to your relationship. But hey, remember, what was that goal we set a few minutes ago? The goal was... For every member of your family to be fully known and fully loved. And some of you heard that phrase, you heard that statement, and immediately you're like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be known and understood completely. And I want to be fully loved for who I really am. Some of you, that's a really attractive thought. But others of you, not so sure. You're like, hmm, I, I like the love part, but that fully known part, I, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. And why would that be? Well, there could be several reasons. It could be that you're thinking, I don't want anybody to see the stuff that's inside me. If they really find out how messed up I am, they're not going to be interested in loving me. Or it could be something different. You might be saying, man, if, if somebody really knows the real me and they see all my stuff, I guess I'll have to deal with it, which means I, I might have to change, and I don't want to change. And I understand that. But I would make the case that even if this idea makes you uncomfortable, you actually do want to be fully known and fully loved. 
The truth is, you've spent your whole life wanting to, wanting to be accepted for who you really are. You've, you've tried so hard to measure up, to feel like you belong, wh- whatever it is that makes you feel accepted. And somehow, it's never, never enough. But here's the miracle. And this is the most important thing you'll hear today. There's, there's a reason why you have this longing to be accepted. There's a reason why you have this deep desire to be known and loved. And here's the reason. The reason is you've been hardwired with a need for God. And God is the only one who will love you perfectly. God is the only one who knows you perfectly. Now, God already knows you from from the inside out. Uh, It doesn't matter how much you try to hide your stuff. Uh, Listen to Psalm 139. That says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows every thought that you have. He sees the deepest parts of your heart, which means he sees the best of you. It also means he sees the worst of you. What is it that you're most ashamed of? What actions do you most regret? What what would you be horrified to have announced up here on this stage or, or shown up here on these screens? Whatever it is, God already knows about it. God already sees it. Psalm 69 verse 5 says, You, God, you know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. So in light of the fact that God is holy and righteous and completely good, it would make total sense if God fully knew all of us and then fully rejected all of us. That would make total sense. But that's not what God did. He chose to love you, even though he can make a very strong case against you. And when you really grasp this truth, when you internalize God's love, it leaves you in awe. It leaves you amazed. That's what we hear from the Apostle John. In uh, 1 John uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We don't deserve this love, but God lavished it on us anyway. He gave us the opportunity to be restored back into his family. He gave us the chance to be called his children. Now, when he did that, he wasn't making light of our sin. He wasn't just overlooking our sin like it's no big deal. Yeah, God has great love for us, but he's also a God of justice, which means somebody had to pay for our sin. And if we do that, if we pay for our sin, that means we're separated from God forever. That means eternal death in hell. But God gave us another option. Jesus would pay for it. He would die so that we wouldn't have to. And through that plan, God's perfect justice and perfect love could be fully satisfied. So rest assured, God will always love you. 
No matter what, even if you reject him, there is nothing you can do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. You have his love. That will not change. At the same time, though, if, if you haven't dealt with that sin issue, there is a separation between you and God. He loves you, but you can't experience his love. That sin is a barrier, but that barrier can be removed through Jesus through putting your faith in him, beginning a relationship with him. 1 John chapter 4 says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. When you give your life to Jesus, that barrier of sin is removed. He, God lives within you. No barrier. He makes his home within you. He puts his spirit within you. And at that point, you not only experience his love, you also learn to emulate his love. That's what we're called to do. And the Holy Spirit helps you do that. He starts working on you, and you start to become more like Jesus, and you learn to treat others in the same way that he has treated you. This is what your family needs from you. They need to be fully known and fully loved. Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, put it this way. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. You can do this for your family. You can take what you've learned from your relationship with God and you can bring it home. You can give to your family the same gift that God has given you, which is the gift of grace. You can show your family forgiveness and love even after you've seen them at their worst. Now, I'm, I'm not being naive here. I know that some of you might say, hang on. If I show this other person grace, even when they don't deserve it, doesn't that leave me vulnerable? Doesn't that put me in a position where I could get really hurt? In a word, yes. That, that's what grace is. It, 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 this stuff isn't easy. You can offer the gift of grace, but you can't control the other person's response. But now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that you should allow someone to hurt you. I'm not saying that at all. More on that in a minute. What I am saying is, yes, showing grace to others, it makes you vulnerable, which is exactly what God did with us. He loved us even though we didn't deserve it, and then he put the ball in our court he waited for us to respond. And he did that even knowing that many, many people would reject him. That's painful. That's the kind of love we see in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the pattern we're supposed to follow in our marriage, in our relationships, in our families. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And you know what that tells me? It tells me loving like God means taking the initiative. So in your marriage, don't wait for the other person to fix their issues. 
Don't withhold your love until they deserve it. Go ahead and take that step. And then give them the chance to respond. So for you this week, what could that step look like? Well, like every other week of this series, I have a challenge for you. And this one is pretty simple. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort or a whole lot of time. The challenge is to start a conversation that leads to a deeper level of knowing and being known. Now, for the past few minutes, we've talked a lot about marriage, and this conversation is especially important in marriage because husbands and wives need to know each other intimately. But the truth is, this is a conversation you can have with anyone in your home. Now, it'll look different based on who it is, like parents and children shouldn't have the same level of openness that you have in a marriage, but this need is still there. Everyone in your family needs to be known and loved. Now, if you're single, you can still have a conversation like this with a trusted friend. After college, I was single and on my own for 10 years, and I'm so thankful that during those years, God gave me some good friends who both knew me and loved me. Still thankful for that. So how do we go about this challenge? Well, you can start by making the conversation a priority. You know, a lot of us feel like, eh, life is really busy, I don't know if I have time to stop and do this, and I'll be honest, sometimes I go through a whole week and I'll look back and I'll think, man, when was the last time Hannah and I had a deep and meaningful conversation? I don't know. <laughs> Life just gets crazy. And having conversations like this, it's, it's important, but it doesn't always seem urgent. That's true of a lot of things, right? Some things are important, but they don't seem urgent. But in this case, make it a priority. Carve out that time. And when you're ready to have this talk, ask two great, great questions. The first question goes like this. How do you feel about blank right now? And, and this is really good because you can customize this question to, uh, to address the specific areas that you need to talk about right now. Uh, maybe you say to your wife, how do you feel about our schedule right now? Is it doable do we have enough time together? Uh, that'd be a good discussion to have. But that's just one option. Uh, maybe you need to bring up one of those big issues. Or maybe you bring up a little issue. Like, uh, how do you feel about the number of trees in our yard? Are we good there? Do we need to chop some down? <laughs> now, uh, the point of this question is not to start an argument or even to try to change the other person's mind. The point is to let the other person be known and understood. And the best thing you can do here is be a great listener. Now, I've learned this by experience. If you ask this question and the other person starts to tell you how they feel, and then all of a sudden you get a text message, do not check your phone. <laughs> That's going to be counterproductive. Ask the question and then listen well. But then don't end this conversation before you ask the second question, which is, what can I do to help? And right here, you're turning the corner. You turn the corner from knowing the other person to showing love to the other person. You're communicating that you really do want to serve. And in some cases, they may say, no, there's, there's really nothing you can do to help. And that's okay. You're already showing love just by asking the question. So, 
these are the two questions, and it's a great thing to initiate this conversation, but eventually you need to be on the receiving end, and that's when you allow your family to really know you. And so when someone asks you these same questions, be ready to answer honestly. Share what's going on in your head or in your heart. If you have thoughts or emotions that you've buried and, and that you really need to share with this other person, it, it may be time to speak up. Now, listen, I realize that some of us uh, don't love the idea of having conversations like this. Some of us who may happen to be guys, uh, a lot of guys, <laughs> we have this thing. We don't want to sit around and talk about our feelings, and I'm a guy, that's, that's me too. But this takes us back to 1 Corinthians 13. We want to follow the pattern of God's perfect love. And this kind of love does not come naturally for us. But what's that goal? The goal is for every person in your family to be fully known and fully loved. And that goal is so important. It's worth it to do these things that don't come naturally. Now, if you're married to someone who's not particularly excited about a conversation like this, I have a favor to ask you. This, this needs to happen. These conversations need to happen, but be careful how you approach it. Uh, don't spring it on the other person before you get out of the parking lot today. And, and don't bring it up right after your spouse gets home from work. Find a time when they have some emotional energy and respect the fact that for them, it may be a sacrifice to talk about these things. Okay, I'll, I'll leave you with one final recommendation with this challenge. Be ready to choose love, even when it's tough. As unfortunately, there's, there's no guarantee that you'll get a great response here. Uh, you might take the first step and initiate this conversation, and then right away you run smack into that other person's stuff. But that's what it means to love like Jesus. Love is patient. It's kind. It keeps no record of wrongs, always trusts, always hopes, and that's how you show grace. You say, I'm going to love you even though you have issues. But now, I want to go back to what I said before. I want to be very clear here. Loving like Jesus does not mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that you allow someone to hurt you. You can choose love through this process, but you may need to confront some destructive behavior. You may need to set some limits and boundaries so uh, a person will not hurt you or your family. You may need to let that person suffer some of the consequences that they brought on themselves, but you can still choose to love throughout the process. That's what God does. God does all of these things. He confronts. He sets limits. Sometimes He lets us suffer the consequences, but He does all of these things from a motivation of love. So this is our big idea for today. God fully knows you, and He also fully loves you, which is amazing. And in our families, we want to follow His example. So if you're willing to accept this challenge, you can find it on our website at plumcreek.org slash family challenge. You can scan the QR code on the screen or in your bulletin. Uh, you, you can see everything we just talked about there. But before I finish here, I need to say something else. For some of you, it may feel like it's too late to have this conversation. Uh, your relationship may be in a place where 
You need a counselor to work through this together. Could be that too many beads have been spilled. And that third party, that, that wise person uh, can be so helpful. And, and if that's where you are, if you need to get connected with a Christian counselor, we'd, we'd be glad to help you with that. Just reach out to us. But wherever you are, let's, let's all take a step toward accomplishing this goal. We want everyone in our families to be fully known and fully loved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. You are a good, good father. Not every father in this world has been good. Not every mother, not every member of our family. And sometimes there is a lot of pain in our homes. But Lord, we know that being the good father you are, you can take us from where we are today and you can bring restoration and healing for, for anyone who's willing to surrender to you. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I pray that there will be miracles in, in some of the homes around us. And I pray that uh, through the Holy Spirit, we'll learn to love more like you so that uh, everyone in our family can be fully known and fully loved. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.